All right, all right, man. Y'all can have a seat. How's everybody doing today? Come on now. Three of y'all are doing good. How's everybody else doing today? Y'all doing all right? Man, it is my honor and privilege to be able to stand before you today on behalf of our pastor who is enjoying a well-deserved vacation with his family, all right? Now, speaking of family, today is a family Sunday. I see you, family. Family, I see y'all over there. All right, then. I want y'all to look to the left, and y'all see another family. Say, I see you, family, all right? Look over to the right and say, I see you, family, all right? Look, there's a lot of families in here, all right? So y'all give those families with some small ones some grace, all right? Give them some mercy. And we'll talk about that later in case you need uh, to be educated in how to do that, all right? But this is our first family Sunday as we are meeting here in Bowie Elementary School. Man, I am so grateful for this school. Man, so glad to be able to be here. So glad that we're not meeting where there's construction and maybe asbestos floating around and things like that, all right? And so speaking of school, man, I thought it would only be appropriate to start off by asking you to think back to your all-time favorite teacher, all right? Man, who is that? Who is your all-time favorite teacher? For some of y'all, it might be a parent. For some of y'all, it might be a coach. They, I mean, they actually do teach, all right, in case you doubted that, all right? Man, uh, I don't know, man. Maybe it's your first grade teacher who was the one who was always able to tell the best jokes. Maybe it was a history teacher who was able to bring boring dates and boring facts to life. Who was your favorite teacher? Man, maybe like me, it was your high school senior English teacher who believed in you even when you didn't believe in yourself. But here in Matthew's gospel, Man, we see a portrait of Jesus Christ as being the greatest teacher ever, all right? And we see him giving one of the greatest messages to ever be delivered, and we know that as the Sermon on the Mount, and we understand that when Jesus showed up, people showed up. In fact, crowds mobbed around him to just have the chance to be able to hear him speak And the words and the stories that he used, they might have been unusual, but they were amazing and they were challenging. And they're the kind of things that you would never forget. And we definitely see that to be true right here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so this morning, we'll be picking up where we left off last week. All right. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn or tap your way to Matthew chapter five. And we'll be looking at the next three Beatitudes found in verses six, seven, and eight. And while we discuss these next three Beatitudes, man, I want you to just imagine yourself being in the crowd. If you have one of those fancy Bibles, this is red letter territory, all right? And so if you need to jog your memory, that means these words are coming out of Christ's mouth. And so as we continue to look at Christ's words, man, I want to ask you, to just imagine yourself as being sitting there in the crowd listening to Jesus Christ deliver these life-changing words because I believe that he wants to do that even today. I believe that he wants to change your lives today. Man, I believe that he wants to teach you something today. But the question is, how will you respond to the Spirit? All right? And I can't answer that. I mean, that's between you and your heavenly father. And so if you would join me in prayer as we pray three simple things. All right. Let's pray that the Lord will speak today. All right. Number two, let's pray that we will hear what he has to say. And number three, let's pray that that truth will set us free. 
Let's pray that together, all right? Man, y'all pray in your hearts. I'm going to pray out loud. Bow your heads. We'll get at it. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to come to your throne today. God, thank you for, man, this school that has allowed us to come and do worship here today. God, man, thank you so much for everything that you have done and for what you are doing and for what you will continue to do. God, we pray for our community. Man, we're not the only one having church. There's a lot of churches having church today, and I pray that they would do just that. I pray that they would not just be a group of people going to church, but I pray that across our community, we would have a group of people being the church, not just today, not just for a few hours, but Heavenly Father, God, for every single moment that you grant us here, uh, you know, every day that you give us here on this earth. God, we pray these three things. God, they're simple to pray, but God, we know that they're really hard to be able to live out. God, I pray that you would speak to us today. God, there's a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of messages, I mean, there's a lot of avenues competing for our attention. God, I know that a lot of times, man, you're talking, but we're not listening. God, we pray that not only would you speak loud and clear, God, secondly, we pray that we would hear what you have to say. God, we pray that, man, when your truth is delivered, God, we're not zoning out, but instead we're zoning into what you have to tell us today. And God, third and finally, we pray that as you speak and as we listen, God, we pray that that truth will set us free. God, we pray that the truth that sets us free does so in a way that, man, changes the way that we communicate. God, we pray that it changes the way that we talk to our family. God, we pray that it changes the way that we live out our life on a daily basis. God, we pray that we don't leave here the same way that we came in. And God, I'm not talking about a door. God, I'm talking about with changed hearts. God, we ask all of this in your son's precious and holy name. And everybody said... All right, man, we're going to go ahead and get started. And like I said, we're going to jump into the next three Beatitudes. So please, let us be reminded that on the Sermon of the Mount, man, Jesus was talking about some several Old Testament commandments, but instead of focusing on the rule-keeping aspect that a lot of the teachers were at that time, Jesus, he was challenging his listeners to take their obedience to the next level. He was challenging those listeners to take their obedience to the commandments and basically step it up further by striving to have a pure heart, not just following out on righteous actions or religious actions. And see, the Beatitudes, man, they hit hard because they flipped the script with a countercultural message, and they did that back in the day, and they still do that today. Man, the Beatitudes can undress you. Be careful because the attitude, I mean, the Beatitudes, they will step on your toes. Man, not only will they undress yourself, but man, the Beatitudes, they mirror what is in or what is lacking in your soul. In fact, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he explains it this way in his extensive study of the Sermon on the Mount. This is his words. He says, the Beatitudes really tell us everything about our Christian profession if I dislike this sort of thing, if I'm impatient with it, if I dislike this personal 
analysis and probing and testing. I mean, it simply means that my position is entirely contrary to that of the New Testament man. But if I feel, on the other hand, that though these things do search and hurt me, nevertheless, they are essential and good for me. If I feel that it is good for me to be humbled and that it is a good thing for me to be held face to face with this mirror, which not only shows me what I am, but it shows me what I am in the light of God's pattern for the Christian man, then I have the right to be hopeful about my state and condition. And a man who is truly a Christian never objects to being humbled. Men, the Beatitudes, they will humble you. And so my question today, or to simply put it, man, the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes, they are a penetrating test of the authenticity and the health of our faith. Man, they tell us if our faith is real. Man, they tell us about our spiritual health. So you got to ask yourself that question. Man, is your faith real? Man, if your faith is real, how is your health spiritually? Now, speaking of health, there's no doubt about the importance of appetites, diets, and healthy habits. Now, I know some of y'all, man, y'all are saying, who is this guy to talk about healthy habits, all right? And I believe, man, nutritionists, they dramatize this whole thing by making this phrase popular, you are, y'all finish it, you are what you, come on, y'all know it, all right? Man, I was a little skeptical when the skinny pastor took a vacation and he asked the not-so-skinny pastor to come up here and teach about hunger, you know? And, man, I had to ask myself, did he really go on vacation or am I going to walk in the door and this is some type of intervention? <laughs> Justin, we have a problem, all right? <laughs> I've been looking for him. He hadn't walked in the door yet, so I think we're good, all right? Maybe he knows that I have personal experience with hunger and thirsting because, I mean, I often start off my day with a dollar menu and a Coke, all right? Uh, and when I say often, maybe a little too often, all right? Maybe so often that one time we had this staff weight challenge and I was partnered with our pastor and he set me down for one of those one-on-one -on -one meetings and he said, hey, listen, brother, I know that you love the dollar menu. You're going to have to break up with her, all right? We need to win this thing. And so, man, I was trying to get my mind right. And I said, man, if I'm going to have to break up with the dollar menu, I got to do it the right way. I got to write a little breakup letter, all right? And so I penned this a few years ago, and it said, Dear Dollar Menu, you and I, we've sure shared a lot of good times. Man, I finally recall the first time that we ever met. Man, I was a broke college student, and you promised to make me a dollar menu wearer. Man, I had heard a lot about you, and I was a little nervous to approach. You were everything that everyone said you were, and so much more. It was truly love at first bite. Man, I told you I would come back, and I wasn't lying because I did, and I came back often, all right, time and time again. Man, I met you in various cities all over the United States, and each time was better than the last. It was almost as if we were never apart. True love. We were able to pick up right where we left off. But then it got serious. I had to let the dollar mean you know that lately you kind of been doing me dirty, all right? I don't know if you understand because I don't understand why you're jeopardizing what we have together. I mean, you're forcing me to choose between my heart and my stomach. And my wife said that if I keep on eating 
Every morning at your establishment, the only relationship that will matter is between me and my cardiologist. So dollar menu. I guess what I'm struggling to say as I fat back the tears and I wipe the French fry grease from my fingers is this right here. Man, it's not that I don't love you because we know where my love stands and it's true. But I know that I'll never be able to find anyone like you, but we're growing in two different directions. Man, I'm afraid that I won't be able to see you anymore dot, 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 or at least until this Ridgecrest staff weight loss challenge is over, all right? <laughs> Yours truly, Justin. P.S. I would have written this on one of your napkins, but it was too painful reminder of where we used to be, all right? And so, man, I kid you not, I actually wrote that. I had to go back to my phone and find that note, but it's, it's a real thing, all right? And I also kid you not, the day that I broke up with the dollar menu, I walked out, and on my way to my car, I found a $5 bill just sitting right there. Man, at first glance, I was like, get behind me, Satan. And then I realized somebody once said, because of God's prevision, there was provision. And just like a bad relationship, I went right back, all right? Matt and I did not win that challenge, okay? (laughs) Not that he didn't try. I just didn't try hard enough, all right? So y'all know the phrase, you are what you what? Man, you are what you eat. And I don't think that there's a person in here that probably hasn't heard that phrase. And it's not bad logic if you don't take it too far. But the proper application for what we are about to unpack in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it's much more scientific. It's way more profound because in the spiritual realm, you really will become what you eat. Man, I might eat a ton of dollar menu, but luckily I might just turn into the shape of a McMuffin, all right? But I'm not actually going to become a McMuffin. But here's the thing, man, in the spiritual realm, you really will become what you eat. Man, I think we can accurately say that if you feed on materialism, sensuality, popularity, self-worth on a daily basis, you will begin to personify those qualities. Man, you will begin to become exactly what you consume. And we can say that this morning that this accurately is true, that your appetite and your desires are eventually determining your destiny and what you will become. Man, I say all of that so that we can jump into this text and we can start this morning because it's here in verse 6 that the Lord prescribes the menu and the appetite that is going to bring spiritual health, all right? And this is better than a get skinny blog, all right? This is better than getting sight and smith strong, all right? This right here is something that I want you to listen to. It starts in verse 6 and it says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, I have to be, a man, let me be apologetic. I've already had to apologize to like five people because they stopped me and they said, man, the first Sunday that you preach is the first Sunday that we don't serve donuts and coffee, all right? Well, let me allow you to understand that this is a real life object lesson because we are not called to be hungering and thirsting after donuts and coffee. But the scripture says right here, we ought to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And if we do that, we shall be satisfied. Maybe your translation says we shall be filled. So our spiritual health, I mean, it comes from this beautiful attitude of a spiritual hunger. And the menu that Jesus Christ is prescribing for our spiritual health is that of righteousness. 
So when we hear that, when we read that, when you hear that proclaim, man, the question is that we have to ask ourselves is, what is righteousness? And what is that? See, some people suggest that righteousness here in this text is the righteousness that God gives us during salvation, all right? Maybe you know that as the imputed righteousness of God is described and detailed in the book of Romans, but that righteousness, man, we understand it as foundational. Man, you cannot be a Christ follower without the imputed righteousness of God, but that's not what is meant right here. Man, other people, they wrongly believe that it refers to that of social, social righteousness. That's a big thing. Man, that's a big thing in our, in our uh, time that we live in right now. But we got to understand that, man, that's important. And that's actually an outgrowth benefit of the kind of righteousness that we're talking about here. The righteousness described here is a pattern of conformity to God's will. So if y'all want to know what righteousness means, May you got to conform to God's will. This means pursuing after God, wanting to be like God in everything that we do, in everything that we say, in the decisions that we make. See, I think we say a lot of church words. We say Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. But what does that really mean? See, I believe that he saved us. May he saved us from death. We understand that our, because of our sin, the wages of is, of sin is death. Man, we're promised death, but he saved us from that. But he's also our Lord. And if we allow him to be our Lord, man, we have to battle that out every single day. Man, it's an everyday battle. It's a longing that endures and that is never completely satisfied on this side of eternity. Man, the passion that we should have for righteousness, man, it should be real just like our hunger and thirst can be real. Man, it should be natural just like hunger and thirst can be a natural thing for a healthy person. Man, this passion, it should be intense just like hunger and thirsting can be intense. Man, it should be painful. And we understand if we've truly been hungry, if we've truly been thirsty, man, that can cause some serious pain. Man, it should be a driving force. We understand that hunger and thirst can drive a man. Man, this passion should be a sign of health, just like hunger and thirst shows health in a person. See, today we see a lot of Christians and they're hungering, but they're not hungering for righteousness. Man, we see a lot of Christ followers, and we are hungry, but we're not hungry for righteousness. Man, we're hungry for power. We're hungry for authority. We're hungry for success. Man, we're hungry for comfort. We're hungry for happiness. But that's not what the text says hunger for. See, the text says hunger and thirst for righteousness. Man, the way that we are to desire this righteousness is given to us in the most extreme ways. Man, we're the hunger for it. We're the thirst for it. Man, those are basically as intense of emotions as we can live out. Man, those descriptions are some of our strongest impulses. And the problem is, man, if we've truly been hungry, we can relate to that. But a lot of times it's like me as a kid. I'm like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And my mom would say, well, nice to meet you, hungry. I'm Molly Sykes. You know, man, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Man, I'm, I'm, you heard people say, man, I'm spitting cotton. You know, I'm cotton mouth. Man, I'm thirsty. But, but man, we weren't dying of thirst. Man, the problem for us is most of us in this Western context of the way that we live, man, we can go home and with a flick of the wrist, man, we can have tap water going right there. 
Man, with the push of a cup, we might have some purified tap, tap water because some of y'all won't drink out of the tap. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and like with the phone call, we can get the pizza delivered right to our house. Man, but this context completely made sense to the average Palestinian. Because in Jesus Christ's time, man, the Palestinian man, he lived on the edge of starvation. Man, this was really real to him. It was made, it made perfect sense. This was not a pleasant picture. Jesus is not talking about some slight hunger that hits like midway in the afternoon, you know, halfway between lunch and dinner where you got to have that afternoon snack. This is not something that a snack can satisfy. Man, he's talking about starving to be righteous. He's talking about thirsting to be righteous. And he writes this and he declares this and he shares this in a continual attitude. So blessed are those who continually hunger and thirst for righteousness. Man, speaking about desiring righteousness in such terms, you know, like the world that we live in, the secular world that, that, we're, that we're in, man, they can't understand this. Man, it doesn't make a lot of sense to them. But what's sad is, man, to speak of righteousness in these extreme terms, it doesn't make a lot of sense to the church either. See, he's trying to give us a wake-up call right now, church, and he's saying, church, for those who follow the crowd, for those who maintain the status quo, for those whose highest aspiration is just mediocrity, then this call for righteousness is going to be harmful to your lifestyle. I mean, he's trying to say, wake up, church, because sleek, self-satisfying, mild religious convictions and they're not going to be accepted. See, the world has the wrong diet, but sometimes the church's diet is so similar. And so we got to ask, are you desperate for righteousness? Charles Spurgeon, may he often prayed this prayer and it says, it is not enough for me to know that my sin is forgiven. I have a fountain of sin within my heart and bitter waters continually flow from it. Oh, that my nature could be changed so that I, the lover of sin, could be made a lover of that which is good, that I now, full of evil, could become full of holiness. Do you desire righteousness. Church, let us be a church that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Not hunger and thirst that our own political party may get into power, but hunger and thirst that righteousness may be done in our community. Not hunger and thirst that our own opinions may come to the forefront. Man, we use Facebook as our platform, and if we got an opinion, we're willing to share it. Man, if we got a problem, we don't face it. We just Facebook it. And so here's the thing. Instead of allowing all that to come to the forefront, man, how about we desire that righteousness may come to the forefront in our families, in our schools, in our jobs? Man, we're to desire righteousness, and when we do that, we will be satisfied. Now, think about this. It's kind of a confusing paradox. How can it both satisfy us but keep us longing for more? How can we long for more but yet be satisfied and still long for more? Man, I know that this is probably not a great example, but it makes me think of when my wife makes my favorite cookie. Y'all might want to write this down, all right? 
those no-bake cookies, all right? I think everybody calls them different. They just look real ugly, just a blob of just awesomeness, all right? And man, I don't even like cookies. I'm a meats over sweets kind of guy, but that right there is my weakness. She understands that. And when she makes that, even though I want to have self-control, I only get about five of them, right? And I would eat those and man, it is like pure elation in my mouth. Man, it is like heaven here on earth. But 30 minutes later, I get this strange desire to want to go get five more. And I go get them and I eat them. And I'm like, man, okay, I'm done. Ten, that's good. And then about 30 minutes later, man, it just keeps on happening until all the cookies are gone. All right. I don't know how that works. Man, the same way with God's righteousness, man, we will desire it. It will satisfy us, but we can't get enough. Man, the second beatitude for today is this right here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, you got to talk about the first part, and then we'll talk about what we receive. And so, man, what does it mean to be merciful? What does it actually mean? Man, the ancient language to have mercy means to give help to the wretched or to relieve those who are miserable. See, mercy gives attention to those who are in misery, and this explains the difference between grace and mercy. Think about this, all right? I mean, we use those interchangeably, but mercy actually gives attention to those who are in their misery, but grace is what God gives to the undeserving. See, grace is given to those who undeserve it. Mercy is given to those who are miserable, all right? God gives attention to the undeserving by giving them grace. And then to the miserable, he gives them mercy. Mercy is a synonym for compassion. But sometimes we think, oh, man, okay, I'm merciful. Man, I see some things. I'm, I'm compassionate about it. Man, I had a, a, a female student stand up in our Sunday school class about five years ago, and she just said, hey, what about the topic of human trafficking? Does anybody think that that's like a real thing? We all agree. Yeah, that's a real thing. Man, is it a, is it a bad thing? Oh, yeah, like none of us would stand up and champion human trafficking. You know, like we all kind of laugh, like what, what's she trying to make? Like we all agree on this. And then she said, but how many of y'all are actually doing something about it? Nobody could raise their hand in that room. Man, she had watched a movie that had kind of like sparked her interest and kind of changed her life about it. And she said, man, I found this organization. Let's do something about it. Let's try to raise money. Just our class of guys and girls who are about to graduate. Man, let's put money towards this organization because they can do things that we cannot do. See, it's compassion, but it's compassion with action. Man, it's more than just feeling sorry about somebody. Man, y'all know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Man, somebody is hurt. They're left half dead. Somebody took their clothes and people walked around, people that should be willing to help them. They said, nah, man, you know, I'm busy or nah, I don't really want to get dirty or man, I sweat too much and I'm about to go preach. Somebody else handle this. All right. And then the Samaritan comes by, man, the person who wouldn't have any dealing with this or vice versa. And he showed the person mercy. At the end of the parable, Jesus says, you know, which one did right? And the answer was the one who showed mercy. Man, it wasn't just feeling bad for your neighbor, but showing mercy for your neighbor. Man, what are we doing to to alleviate the misery of the people that we live life with? See, a merciful person is one who has compassion, but also there's a next step. It's one that is willing to forgive somebody. 
See, I think the story of Joseph, we see this mercy is not just about compassion and action, but it's also about showing forgiveness and pardon. And in the story of Joseph, we understand that, I mean, the only reason his brothers didn't kill him is because they found out they could make money by selling him into slavery, right? And then a ton of events later, ups and downs and ups and downs, man, we see that the tables are turned. And during those moments of ups and downs, we see Joseph, man, he's weeping over his strange, his estranged relationship with his brothers. Man, he hates that he doesn't have this unity with his brothers. And, and then all of a sudden we see at the very end, man, he's actually able to forgive them even when they were literally at his mercy. As a Christ follower, we got to understand that, man, we were once a sinner, right? We were dead, like it says in Ephesians chapter 2, but God changed everything. I mean, he came and he showed us mercy, and now we should be able to be forgiving to others, and not just forgiving, but quick to forgive others. Man, when this beatitude addresses those who will show mercy, it's talking about believers because we've already been shown mercy. We should understand this. See, the merciful one, man, ought to show that mercy to those who are weak and poor. Man, the merciful one ought to always be looking for those who are weeping and mourning. The merciful one ought to be able to forgive others and always looking to restore the broken relationships. Man, the merciful one will be merciful to the character of other people and choose to think whatever's best of them. Man, has anybody ever slandered you? Man, it's hard not to want to return that favor. But as a merciful person of Christ, we're called to give them the benefit of the doubt, to forgive them, to understand that maybe there's some other things going on in their life. Men, a merciful one will not expect too much from others. Men, they will be compassionate to those who are outwardly sinful. And the merciful one will have a care for the souls of all men, not just people that look like us, not just people that like the same things that we like but for every person. Man, regardless of the wrongs that have been done to you, and you might hear that and say, Justin, you don't know what has been done to me, but by God's grace, you, for, you can forgive them. Man, you can forgive that domestic wrong. You can forgive that professional wrong, and we must do so because our souls are at stake. Man, there's a guy named Andy Minio, and he writes this, bitterness can make a heart numb, But hope is like a star. You don't see it shine until the darkness comes. So don't just scoop the dust, but remove the rug. If I got forgiveness in my heart, then there really ain't no room for love. Man, it says right here, if I got unforgiveness in my heart, then there really ain't no room for love. Plus it's stupid because I've been so forgiven that if I hold a grudge, I don't even show that he's risen. But I know my sins are removed since Jesus came, and with no reason to forgive, he still did. And so I must do the same. Are you mercifully forgiving others? Men, are you looking out for those who need to be shown mercy? Men, the last thing that we have, and it's in verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Man, the pure in heart, what does that mean? Pure in this context means not being mixed with anything else. Man, it's like they used it in, 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 the, in the New Testament to talk about water without impurities, metals without any alloys, uh, grain that had been winnowed without chaff. It's pure grain. 
man, our mixed or unmixed thoughts. Man, we're free from every taint, mixture, or outside element. And so we got to keep that in mind because I think a lot of times when people read this beatitude, they see the, the phrase pure in heart and they think about it means, you know, sexuality or sensuality, but that's not what it means right here. It means of those who are of single in an undivided heart, those who utterly sincere and they're not divided in their devotion with their commitment to God. James talks about that. He says, be careful not to be double-minded. And so we got to ask, does God have our undivided heart? I mean, I think Christ, he was dealing with people's spirits. He was dealing with their spiritual nature. And even though all the Beatitudes do this, man, it hits the target right here because he's not saying, blessed are those who are pure in language. Blessed are those who are pure in action. But he said, blessed are those who are pure in heart. And if, they are, if they're able to do that, then they are able to see God. I think a heart pure person can see God in everything, can see God in nature, can see God in scripture, can even see God in his church family. And I know some of y'all can relate, but man, I'm blind without these glasses. All right. So to be able to see clearly, man, I got to wear these glasses. I've been doing it since the fifth grade. But the technique for curing spiritual blindness, man, it's existed way longer than that. Man, the procedure is radical. No one can do it on their own. Man, it all is about being reborn. You need a new heart. It's a radical change that comes in trusting in his death and his atonement. And when we have a pure heart and we're able to achieve something that some believe is the pinnacle of faith, we're able to see God. But you got to ask yourselves, man, are you able to see God or is your vision blurry? Me and my man Jesse's going to come and take the stage. And as he takes the stage, man, I want to ask you to bow your heart. And as you bow your heart, man, I want to try to ask you a few things. Man, let's do a spiritual check on our lives. Man, as they begin to get ready to lead us in these last couple songs of worship and your head is bowed, Man, I want you to be thinking about your own life. Man, is, is your spiritual life healthy? Man, do you need some, is there some forgiving that you need to do? Man, are you out and you, are you willing to be able to do something about it? Man, is there a need for some active care and compassion? If so, you got to admit those things to God. Man, you got to tell God with your head bowed and your eyes closed, God, I know your mercy. Man, as a believer, I know it because you've shown it to me. Man, help me to show it to others. Man, if you struggle with being merciful to others, you got to get into the scriptures. You got to uh, look at the different concepts of compassion and mercy that are all throughout the, the scriptures. Man, you got to get out and you got to practice mercy. You got to get involved in the hurting. What are you doing to better the lives of other people who are hurting? Man, you got to actively forgive others. Man, as we continue to do this spiritual check, as we allow the Beatitudes to, man, put us in front of a mirror, you got to ask yourself, man, are you willing to be completely honest to God? See, it's so elementary to say, but it's so difficult to do. You got to ask yourself, do you have a single devoted heart for God? Or is your heart devoted in various places? 
Man, you got to ask yourself, are you willing to realize that only God can make it pure? Man, I know scripture says we are to work out our faith. We need to get to work. We got to do work for Christ because faith works in actions. But here's the thing. We got to understand that it's all about God. Man, it's only willed if God wills it. Man, we got to be willing to forgive ourselves. We got to be willing to fill ourselves with God's word. We got to jump in the word. What are you reading? Is the only time you read the text of God when you come to church? Are you getting into the word daily? Do you see God or is your vision blurred? Man, how is your spiritual health? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are you pursuing and are you desperate for the things of the world? Are you able to show mercy to those who are in misery? Man, let's pray. I know we're at a school, but we still got an altar. Man, if you need some prayer, man, you are welcome to slide out of these rows and come to the foot of this stage and to pray. You're able to pray where you are. Man, if you want to talk to somebody right now, you're able to do that. Man, if you're here because somebody invited you, but you're like, man, I want to join and be a part of this church, we can start that conversation today. Man, if you're here and you're like, man, you are right. These Beatitudes step on my toes. Well, hobble yourself up here and be repentant in front of God. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for what you have done. God, thank you for what you are doing. And God, thank you for what you're going to continue to do in the life of this church. God, I pray that even though we're at a school, even though we might have kids around us, God, please let us do business with you. God, if we need to come to the altar, please let us make our way up here. God, if we need prayer, please let us seek prayer from a brother or sister in Christ. God, if we need to actively forgive somebody that's in this room, let us stand up and go find them. Let us put that to work. God, if we need help showing mercy to those in misery, God, let us talk to somebody about how we can do that. God, if our vision's blurry, or in fact, maybe we're not blurred. Maybe we haven't stepped away from God. Maybe we don't even know God. Man, we're not blurred out. We're, we're blinded. God, you can give us sight today. God, we ask that you would move in the hearts of these people. In your name we pray. Amen.